All content published by Your Brain on Science is solely the opinions of the authors and does not reflect the opinions of any parties affiliated with them or any additional third parties. Welcome back to the official second season of Your Brain on Science with your two favorite PhD candidate gals, Zarmeen Zahid and Elena Jaster. We were so excited to start another season with you, and we can't believe that you've put up with us for a whole season already. <laughs> um, yeah, so we had a nice kind of chaotic yet restful break, right, Zarmeen? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would say chaotic um, more than maybe restful. No, it was nice. Um, granted, our rest was punctuated with you had a literal pandemic illness, and I, I literally broke my wrist. <laughs> yeah, so it was great our break because we weren't doing work, but we were ill. It was fun not to do anything though. Yeah, despite you know the downside, just like exist. Yeah, so that was cool. And then we were both in the frigid um, Midwest with negative twenty wind chills. That was really cool. Yeah, that was great. My flight actually got canceled that weekend in that cold snap. It was, um, what day was it? I think it was literally on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. Um, and they canceled my dang flight. Thank God I wasn't one of those people stuck at the airport, though. That looked like a mess. Yeah, I, I called Chris on Thursday night before Christmas and was like, or Thursday during the day, I was like, you need to change your flight. <laughs> I was like, yeah. No, it was literally oh. crazy. But, uh, But, you know, even since all of that, Okay, so clearly a lot has happened in our lives since we went on this break in um, sort of mid-December, I think it was. But a lot has also happened in the psychedelic space. Uh, So much so that it's honestly been a little bit hard to keep up with everything. As things come out, I've been trying to bookmark them and sort of keep them on a little uh, list so I can go back and reread stuff. But we have been reading some papers that have come out um, that have been really, really awesome. Um, So we're going to try to highlight some of that big news for you today. Um, But before we even do that, we wanted to take the time to say thank you to all the people who reached out to us for stickers, um, for some folks that had questions for us, or just people that reached out to engage with us in any way. Um, Your guys' feedback and any engagement with with our content is so very valuable to us, and we're very appreciative of it when you guys do so. Um, And, you know, we love hearing from you. Talk to us. We love, we literally have a podcast, like we love talking about things like Zarmin mentioned thank you everybody who has listened to us and who has talked to us we do love it um yeah so today we're just going to cover some questions that we've gotten from listeners and to clarify some stuff and talk about some of the big stuff we missed over break uh, we usually answer our questions on twitter or email as they come in but we thought it might be fun to bring some of them to the air so our listeners can be a part of the episode too um we'll give it a go so We got an email a while back from one of our listeners, Brian, who had a couple questions. Uh, The first one is referring to some of our episodes earlier, like our Hyper Hope episode and Mm -hmm. our How to Change Your Mind episode. So they wanted to know a little bit more about the safety issues that we brought up with some of the MAPS MDMA trials. Um, This is a really heavy subject, and we, I don't think, can do it the great justice it deserves. So I'd like to just direct uh, everybody in those who are interested in learning more about that topic to another great podcast, uh, the cover story power trip series where folks who are directly involved and who have been like working on 
um, bringing these stories to the air for many, many years. Um, They can speak way better on the topic than we can. Yeah. And, you know, Elena said people who are interested in learning about this stuff, I think that this is should be mandatory for everyone that's interested in psychedelics research um, or, you know, in one way or the other has a stake in anything having to do with psychedelics. I think this is um, a must read. It's so important to understand um, the way in which your work or things that you believe in, you know, can be actively harmful to other people. Um, so I think it's really important for us to sort of take the time to listen to this. And you're so right. There's no way that we could have done that story justice. Um, so please, everyone, cover story, power trip series. Um, yep. Okay. So in this email, uh, we also got asked another question. So uh, we were asked if we could both share in this, I'm going to read as a direct quote, um, where you stand on decriminalization, legalization, and the fact that pharmaceutical companies are jumping at the opportunity to commercialize some of these molecules. Uh, So this is an amazing question. um, And we obviously have a lot of opinions about a lot of things and this being no exception. Um, So this is actually gonna be the topic of our next few episodes this season. Um, We're gonna have some really, really amazing, talented, you know, incredibly educated and informed guests come on and talk about all of this stuff. Um, but just briefly, we can share our thoughts because, you know, we have a lot. So Elena, Elena, <laughs> by the way, has written multiple pieces on this exact topic and is super, super, uh, I think, more informed than I am. So really excited to hear your thoughts. Thanks, girl. Um, <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who haven't tuned in before or haven't read our blog um, on our website, I was involved with some policy stuff with the DEA attempting to schedule a psychedelic uh, DOI that is used for research. So kind of have a little bit um, of experience in policy, but not too much. Um, But I've said before, I'm pretty open about my opinions here, but I think that there's a space for decriminalization and legalization and the spiritual use of psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that it has to be put in a box because one, people are going to do what they want anyway. <laughs> and two, yeah. um, folks have been using psychedelics for literal centuries without the law or the pharmaceutical companies being in the scene. So I think that there, there's room for it all. Um, yeah. In terms of the commercialization of the molecules by companies, um, I think that there's good ways and bad ways to go about this, right? So it all has to do, I think, with intention. So like for me, one of the reasons that I'm in this field is to help the greater good and make things mm-hmm. accessible. Like that's what I'm about. I got into this field for a reason. And the reason is because I think that my expertise will make a difference in someone's life. And like, I want to be able to help people. And so that I think is the way to go about it. If you're coming into the scene in your company or a person or whoever you are, whatever you are, if your sole reason to be in here is to profit off of people who are in a like who are in a bad mental health state and they're profiting off their treatment and making money from something. Um, I think that's the issue there. Yeah, for sure. And you know, this is something that we have seen play out with the legalization of cannabis, right? So as all of that rolled across the country, you can now see like some like really predatory sort of companies, right? Opening up. Um, in places where they know that they'll have the most impact, right? And just like the, God, the capitalization, the the commercialization is the better word, right? Of um, like cannabis sales and just like how we saw all that play out, I think is so incredibly important for us to learn from because what are the communities that usually suffer the most at the hands of 
um, big companies that make pharmaceuticals, you know, things that are, you know, more or less necessary for your health, for your mental health, they make them ridiculously expensive or inaccessible or whatever. I think it's, you know, disproportionately communities of black and brown people, you know, that are affected by laws like this. So I think there's so much that we can learn from just drug policy in general. And we have the opportunity to sort of be starting from like basically scratch. There's been just like great sort of news coming out of great motions being made in in various states, right? There's a lot of um, sort of policies that are coming out. People are actively talking about the decriminalization of psychedelic drugs. Um, And I think it's really important to touch on what you talked about a little bit, Elena, is that people have been using these drugs for centuries, right? There have been spiritual and religious uses of these drugs. And so I think we have to be really, really careful when we talk about law, because this is actively, you know, like part of people's cultural, religious, spiritual practices as well, not solely used in medicine, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be right. Like there's an argument for what's the stigma that these drugs, you know, we have to just consider a drug in its full medical capacity for it to be worthy of being, you know, talked about or reconsidered for, you know, decriminalization, whatever, so on and so forth. Um, But I'm, I'm really very excited for all the special guests that we'll have on, because I think this is a really great conversation um, to be had and, something you know that more states are talking about um in an official capacity and i'm really really excited to see uh all the sort of strides that we make here but yeah it's a very exciting time uh for psychedelics whether what happens is good or bad you know there's always gonna yeah. be something yeah um, sure. one cool thing that did happen in virginia where i am located is there was um a bill introduced that um is a Virginia psilocybin advisory board has been established and they're looking to do drug control act reclassification of psilocybin uh, to a schedule three instead of a schedule one. And so that just came out on January 6th. So that's pretty cool. Um, We're going to see what happens. (laughs) No, that's so, so cool. So the Oregon health authority also just released a statement on psilocybin um, and having to do with all like uh, decriminalization, but uh, this is stuff that we'll get into in the upcoming episodes, but very cool. I'm very excited for all of this. Yeah, for sure. Can't wait to bring the special guests on um, so they can talk a little bit more about all of the ins and outs. But, yeah. um, so another question that we got was um, on Twitter, actually, after we released our microdosing episode, which you guys have loved, by the way, you've eaten it up and we are forever loved grateful. and hated. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got some great engagement on that episode and, you know, just wanted to say thanks to everybody. But yeah, so this is from someone on Twitter from Russell. So he said, considering the relatively small amount of legit literature on microdosing and the fact that much of the literature seems to suggest microdosing psychedelics is no different than placebo. I'm curious to know how you feel that there is a whole coaching industry now based on microdosing instruction. And this is something we didn't actually cover in our episode. So I'm kind of excited to answer this question. So Zarbine, I'm going to let you go off first. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I think I just talked to you guys about how I feel about predatory, organizations or entities or whatever and I think that's exactly um sort of this like coaching industry is and I and this is you know a very broad I think opinion that I have because anything can become a coachable skill right like we have these like we have motivation coaches we have like 
I don't know, like Instagram influencer coaches, like I'll coach you on how to have the best Instagram. I think if something is profitable, people will make it a business. So like this is, you know, like coaching someone, if you have expertise on microdosing, right? If you think you have personal expertise on microdosing because you might have read the literature, you've engaged in this behavior multiple times, and you think that you've garnered enough skills to, you know, help other people in a more of an official capacity, then of course, I think the natural step for people that are looking to, you know, profit off of something, off of anything, are going to go out and be like, let me offer this as a service. And that's not me saying that everyone in this field, you know, is, is looking to do that is looking to make a profit off of people. But I think the, the proportion, the ratio of people that are genuinely looking to help others and help make a difference in other people's lives um, via microdosing versus those that are trying to make money or, you know, it, it's not proportionate. It is not the ratio that we hope for. Um, but yeah. And I think microdosing, the content of microdosing, like using the, what you think you have like as skills in microdosing I think you guys listen to our episode. I probably don't have to say. I definitely echo what you're saying. And I think for me, part of it too, is I've, I've met some microdose coaches um, <laughs> and yeah. they're actually really great people. The ones that I have met, there are some people though, like you mentioned, that will take advantage of the situation. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I just think is like, I've heard a lot of stories like from the people I know and just online that like a lot of it is like, oh, I microdose and now I, you know, wean myself off my psychiatric medication. And so now I want to help you you do the same thing oh my god but if so you don't know the person's medical history or like like anything about them and they're you're gonna have them pay you to tell them something that worked for you and your medic like you know it's just it's not a one-size-fits-all situation yeah no psychedelics as we mentioned like yeah anyone who offers medical advice that's with zero qualifications to do so that is, I don't think that is okay. Like, yeah, whatsoever. I think we can all agree on that. That is not okay. And, you know, some people will do that. Exactly what you said, right? Like I, I took this and it opened my third eye and I have now stopped taking all of my medications. We like absolutely talk to your doctor, like your doctor that is in charge of your health should be the number one person that you talk to about yeah. issues having to do with that stuff, right? And, and I'm glad course, it worked for whoever, you know, a lot of people. Absolutely, I've heard that absolutely. from a lot of people. So I'm glad that worked for you. But maybe don't go tell people to do that because you don't know if someone could have a seizure or could go into psychosis. Don't. Yeah. Well, it's not. Um, yeah. And then the other thing about just, you know, getting into the placebo aspect of that question Um I, it reminds me of like the snake oil business back in the day, right? Where, you know, everyone advertised magic elixirs that would cure everything. Um, but it was really yeah. water, basically. It's diluted down from like millions of dilutions. So I think that there needs to be a lot more science before we can say microdosing is more than a placebo. Um, and I actually, if you're interested in like placebo and alternative medicine, I read a really cool book called Trick or Treatment by um, Ernst and Singh about alternative medicine. So Highly recommend trigger treatment. Um, Very cool. But yeah, we, we got into a little bit of the current um, like research and climate and policy stuff. So, so I mean, do you want to kind of get into what's happened over the last month? You've been keeping up better than I have with my three sicknesses in a row. So, oh my god, yeah. So <laughs> um, that's so I could not process anything over break. I had a cold 
strep throat and then covid literally in a row so i'm finally fine everything's cool no worries but um I'm slowly getting back into the the headspace. <laughs> yeah, miserable, dude, miserable. That sounds miserable. Yeah. So let's hear about it. What's going on? You're gonna tell me is, is this is you're teaching me too. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> let's let's talk, students. Um. So, um, the past month honestly has been, I personally, I think one of the most prolific times that we've ever had. Either that, or I've just been like really tuned in right now, <laughs> which like might honestly be the case because it's so hard actively writing and, and doing experiments or whatever okay um but there have been some really really great studies um and we've heard about some primary endpoints um from a couple of different companies so i'll talk about that in a second um but some of the more exciting papers uh so I'll, i'm going to talk about this paper subacute effects of a single dose of psilocybin on biomarkers of inflammation in um, healthy humans and open label preliminary investigation oh my goodness my glasses I need a much better um prescription uh so so this uh study uh looked at biomarkers of inflammation so different cytokines um after the invest uh the injection of psilocybin in healthy humans and so this was from a group um out of Denmark I think this is a collaboration um in groups in uh different uh places in Denmark I think um, really great work, some really great authors on this paper. Um, and basically what they found is that there were no changes in cytokine levels um, after psychedelic administration. Like there was no significant changes in inflammatory markers. So meaning there was likely no significant change on inflammation in the brain. Um, although a lot of things that uh, people have been talking about with having to do with the study is that these individuals were healthy participants, right? And inflammation is something that we generally attribute to disease states. Um, or, you know, we, there's the inflammation hypothesis of depression or um, mm-hmm. psychiatric condition. I forget exactly what it's called. Um, but it's, it's a hypothesis that posits um, changes in inflammation and cytokine levels in your brain have something to do with uh, mental health issues, with, with various psychiatric issues. Yeah. Um, I mean, so this was a... Yeah. This was a preliminary investigation, so you kind of yeah, you have yeah. to use healthy participants. And I think a lot of people who don't know a lot about the, the different phases of the clinical trials, like that's always their critique. But it's like you got to make sure no one's gonna die. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you have to, you know, like this is exactly where you have to start mm-hmm. um, to to figure out more. But this is a really really exciting study, and the fact that I bring this up is because this idea of inflammation I just mentioned is a huge uh, sort of theory in the field of psychiatry is that inflammation in the brain. Um, or in the central nervous system has something to do with um, psychiatric disease or sort of the etiology of the disease or it's involved in its stability over time. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is a question that in my lab, we're actively actually trying to get at as well using rodent models. Um, So this is the first study of its kind looking at inflammation um, and psychedelics. There have been some other studies, but this is, I think, one of the first larger studies. Um, So I'm really, really excited about what comes next there. Um, So that's one. Um, And then there was another study, subtypes of the psychedelic experience have reproducible and predictable effects on depression and anxiety symptoms. Um, So you guys have heard Elena and I talk about um, various clinical trials will use various different scales, which measure subjective effects of the psychedelics um, on that individual. So uh, one of them will be the, um, it'll be like a consciousness scale. So it'll ask you questions about um, your, how you feel in your contextual environment and um, 
there's another one having to do it's the mystical experiences questionnaire so the MEQ mm-hmm. and that'll talk something about the mysticalness of this experience or the really the religiosity of the experience yeah um, and basically um, we have found in other studies you know the more intense the trip the more mystical like people report it to be um, and there was a big question as to whether how mystical the trip is and how subjectively you know, intense that trip is for you in the positive or in the negative direction. Because remember, bad trips are real as well. And that's something that, you know, we can't, we can't ignore. Um, but those, you know, bad trips can also be considered intense, because of course, that's an intense experience to have. Um, we've seen correlations in which the intensity of the trip and the behavioral outcomes might be, you know, significant significantly correlated. Mm-hmm. And this was the first study to actually put that data together and do some really great um, statistics and really get great analysis to to tell us that yes so the more mystical like the experience the more intense the experience under the psychedelic drug the more likely individuals were going to have a significantly improved outcome um, after the study so having to do with depression and anxiety like symptoms specifically um, I don't so know, I this, this, is really study. this is so cool yeah oh my god it was a great study so really uh, great so authors cool. on this study as well um, and I think that this is one of those studies that's going to now just be like a hallmark study because this is something that everyone talks about, right? And it's in your head, you might think of it as like, well, yeah, like that's exactly right. It makes sense. It's logical. But we didn't know that. No one has actually sat down and like poured through all this da- of this data yet, um, to my knowledge, to my knowledge. Um, so I thought this study was really exciting. Um, yeah, this is really then- cool. Yeah, yeah. And then we only have a few more and I'll, and I'll make it quick, I promise. <laughs> this next one, actually, I won't talk too much about because we're going to do a journal club on this. Next, um, so, next yeah, week. so definitely stick around uh, for this one. So uh, single dose psilocybin assisted therapy in major depressive disorder, a placebo controlled double blind randomized clinical trial. Um, so this is out of um, some really great uh, Swiss labs. Um, so over in Switzerland. Um, and I'm not going to talk too much about it, but it was a really, really great study using a lower dose in clinical trials that we're uh, usually uh, used to seeing. So stick around for that episode. And More then the next come. few I'm going to power through. I'm sure if you guys are active in the psychedelic space, you have heard of this new th- theoretical paper uh, that Robin Carhart Harris and um, his colleagues have sort of put out. Um, and it's this canalization and plasticity in psychopathology. So I'm not going to go too much into this because I'm sure that this will come up again sometime in the future. And the paper is really very dense. And I'm still, I will admit, actively working um, to understand some parts of it. Um, yeah, um, well, I guess yeah. so I saw that Carhartt Harris had like posted a Twitter thread about it. And I th- yeah. one of the things he said, I don't remember what it was exactly, but he was like talking about the theory and it, he explained it a lot better over his Twitter thread. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to digest it, I definitely like would say go read that yeah and then read the paper because it might give you a little bit more like the breaking down the language that they use because it was very language heavy that I was like what are you talking about (laughs) so you know what maybe we'll even have like a future episode on this because I think it is definitely worth talking about um and it's it's a it's a good synthesis of a lot of I think theories that we have now and like a lot of the preclinical work that people are doing Mm-hmm. Um, with psychedelics. So you know what, let's, let's shelf that for as well. Um, and then the last couple of things that yeah, I know, I, I keep shelving things for the future. But guys, we have so many episodes coming up, you're going to be so excited about it. Um, and the last couple of things that I want to touch on quick, 
is um, we've had a couple of companies, so Atai and MAPS, um, come out with some information about some of their clinical trials. So Atai, surprisingly, surprisingly, um, a PCN 101 candidate failed to meet its primary endpoint in its heavily anticipated phase 2A trial um, of our, was it our ketamine? Of ketamine. Yeah. Um, yeah, of ketamine. So what this means is that they, this group, Atai, did not find significant differences between their placebo group and their drug group at the end of uh, these trials. But they did find significant improvements on every single, um, I think it was uh, day that they took the measurements, but their endpoint, they did not reach the endpoint. So at the end of the study, the two groups were not significantly different which is pretty interesting. This was kind of, um, I mean, as I think the title says, this was pretty heavily anticipated. People were really waiting on these results. And um, I think it's very interesting that this is one of the first major, um, I think, negative results to come out of clinical trials. But I will, I'm going to put in my two cents as a scientist. I think that um, null results or negative results, you know, whether you're expecting them or not, are equally as valuable maybe it, like, if not more honestly more valuable, valuable. <laughs> yeah yeah like I think so so important for us to talk about these results and for people to publish things like this um so I mean exciting and if you guys are interested you should definitely go read more about it yeah and I think so me being like the pharmacologist that I am right is like <sighs> I, the thing that comes up for me is like we have esketamine right the other enantiomer why me. don't you tell people what an enantiomer is if they don't remember okay because I bet you I could not tell you the definition of it right now (laughs) okay so basically um a lot of drugs they have different um they have different positions so basically another word for enantiomer is an isomer so that's something people might be more familiar with so basically like like drugs like ketamine or drugs like MDMA they have different isomers so they can be their structures can move around. So um, the ketamine isomers are enantiomers, so they're like um, mirror images. So one is more effective to bind to certain receptors than the other one, and same with MDMA. So the interesting thing about this study is that the um, PCN101 is the R version, and Mm -hmm. then the one, the ketamine isomer that's been approved already for depression is the S isomer. And a lot of studies have looked at the, you can have like the two isomers together in like a, in a, so, racemic, a mixture. racemic mixture. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> like, what's the word for that? I'm pulling on all of my old chemistry uh, 101 knowledge. Yeah. Too. I'm like slowly, like I said, my head is like slowly getting <laughs> into it, but so yeah, so you can have the racemic mixture, you can have the R and the S. So looking at them separately can provide more insight to like how the different isomers are working. And so that's kind of why I think this study is so interesting is that we have success with trials of the S isomer, but not the R. So I just think that's kind of cool. Yeah. And, and again, like null results are so important. Like this negative result is so important because this is a completely different isomer and S ketamine um, at the S enantiomer of ketamine is already like commercially sold commercially mm-hmm. used as S-ketamine. It's literally called S-ketamine. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so so great. Uh, I think great trial here. And then the last one is we talked a little bit about MAPS and their MDMA trials. Um, so MAPS actually reached their the endpoint for their second 
phase three trial of MDMA for PTSD. And this was successful. So they found significant differences um, at the end of this phase, the second phase three um, trial. So this is looking really good for, you know, like decriminalization for, you know, maybe even approval for medical use. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So this study had just briefly, this is like the two that I kept up with that I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the so SNAPS, uh, second phase three trial had 104 participants with PTSD um, and they either did the MDMA assisted therapy or placebo with therapy. So both groups got therapy. Um, and then basically the results had confirmed findings from the first trial, which like we said, listen to cover story, but mm-hmm. this is what they've reported. Um, no serious adverse events were observed. And um, I thought this was really cool that they report that for a first for psychedelic therapy trials, more than half of the participants were actually people of color. So a lot of our critiques is some of the studies is like psychedelics work dot 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 for white people. For white people. <laughs> <laughs> but So this is like actually one of the, the cooler things about this. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that those were the big things that I wanted to talk about with you guys today. So as um, obviously our, our episodes come out and as new things come out, feel free to reach out to us and be like, hey, like this is something that's really interesting. I want to talk about this or perhaps um, can we have an episode on this or this? We, I've had, we've had some people, you know, like express interest in certain ideas. And um, I think it's always fun when we have engagement in that way. But look out for some journal clubs um, mm-hmm. and we'll get some more um, in-depth We'll get more in depth into some of these uh, studies, but yeah, definitely. And we're really excited to bring you more content. And yeah, we so look forward to continuing to grace your airwaves for this season of Your Brain on Science. Um, and we're really excited to bring you some super fun guests and cover even more topics than we have before. And I think this season is going to be a lot more. You know, we covered the basics. Now we're going to start talking about, we're going to start freestyling. We're going to start talking about some fun stuff. Yeah, we're um, going to go for and it. as always, if you like us, or if you, especially if you don't like us, uh, <laughs> feel free to share the podcast and rate us and subscribe us and let us know how we're doing. <laughs> yeah, share, rate, subscribe, shout us from the mountaintops. Um, Please do. But also uh, send us yeah, listener okay. questions, send us comments, and let us know if you want to be on our podcast through our website. We are psychedelicbrainscience.com, or you can reach us through email at yourbrain.science at gmail. And, you know, follow us on Twitter, Brain Science Pod. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see you next week for Journal Club and then the following weeks for some policy talk. Woohoo! So excited, guys. <laughs>